Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hi, Paul Dennett here. Just letting you know that Cricket Unfiltered is now on Patreon. If you are a fan of our show and would like to support us with a few dollars each month, go to patreon.com slash cricket unfiltered or click the link in the show notes on your podcast app. Men is here. Our Patreon supporters will also get some pretty cool bonus content. Paul will be doing a series of cricket history podcasts. And Manners will be doing long-form interviews with leading cricket personalities. All of these shows, plus other bonus features, will be available exclusively to our Patreon supporters. So if you want some great extra content, or if you just love the show and would like to help support us financially, please go to patreon.com slash cricketunfiltered. Guys, so everyone's been talking about one thing at the moment in Australian cricket, and that is Justin Langer. So let's do this. Now, let's start between the relationship with me and Justin Langer. I get asked this question all the time. People seen the Amazon test series. Lizzie's out of the team because of Justin Langer. Let me stop it right there. My relationship with Justin Langer is really good. To be honest, I still talk to him. I still text him here and there till this day. And that's because we have a lot of respect for each other. Now, people think I got dropped because I spoke up to him, stood up to him and all these other things. It's actually quite the opposite. I feel like I actually became closer with him and he actually gained my respect and I gained his respect because we had some really honest and open conversations together. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm Andrew Mensel, and that was former Australian batsman Usman Kawaja going into bat for his former coach on Usman's own YouTube channel. Today, I'm joined by Jaleesa Apps. Jaleesa, how are you? Good, I'm good. I'm, I'm in the rain. I'm isolating. I'm good. Excellent. 
and Paul Dennett's here again. Paul, how are you? I'm pumped up. I watched Pakistan versus West Indies all through the night, and I'm so excited that finally aside, very rarely, Pakistan batted at six and a half and over and set an aggressive declaration so refreshing in test cricket, especially when I've had a little bit of money on the outcome. It's like he knew that I, what I needed him to do. So it was a wonderful night's viewing. I'm glad that uh, you've had such a great night's cricket. I just wrapped <laughs> up that, I just wrapped up that uh, match for Cricket Daily, an exciting 15 prospect. On this edition of Cricket Unfiltered, we're going to delve into Australia's T20 World Cup squad Then we're going to sort of try and unpack even more this Justin Langer coaching saga. I'm turning the blowtorch on Payne and Finch today. They're right in my target zone. Whoa. Look out. Oh, yes. Look out. And then uh, we'll bring it on home with some messages from the the listeners. It was the eight-year anniversary of the show last week. So we've got some nice messages. And then we'll finish it off with Can't Let It Go. Well, let's start to the biggest news. It's not this ongoing neighbours-like soap opera around in Justin Langer, but we had some news. George Bailey announced his first squad since Trevor Holmes stepped down and it was the Australian T20 World Cup squad. The squad is Aaron Finch, Ashton Agar, Pat Cummins, Josh Hazelwood, my man, my man, Josh Inglis gets the call up. Everybody's favourite, Mitchell Marsh, Glenn Maxwell, Kane Richardson, Steve Smith, Mitchell Stark, Marcus Stoinis with the rig, Mitchell Swepson, Matty Wade just hangs on, thank goodness, David Warner, the Bulls back, and finally, Adam Zampa. They have three travelling reserves, Dan Christian, Nathan Ellis, and Daniel Sams. Let's start with you, Jaleesa. What are your hot takes from the squad? Nothing overly um, surprising in there, except probably Josh Inglis. Although if you've been listening to Menas recently, uh, probably not as surprising. A <laughs> <laughs> little bit disappointed um, uh, that Alex Carey was left out. I uh, I don't know really if he, he deserved being left out. But all in all, I think it was probably the squad that we um, predicted. Happy to see Dan Christian get a go at, in the reserves. Um but uh, I, it's obviously when you look at that squad and you look at how many people were missing from ba- touring in Bangladesh and, and tour, uh, sorry, touring against Bangladesh and uh, the West Indies, it's obviously a much better team. So uh, if we can't get some much better results, then there'll be drama. What about you, Paul? Yeah, I think my one concern, well, two concerns. One is the omission of Labashane from the squad. I know a lot of people think that he's not a T20 player, but with the prospect of the wickets being slow and low on the UAE, used pitches after the IPL, just the three venues in that country, there's every chance that it will be the sort of tournament where, at least at some of the venues, 140 or 150 might be a good score. And if you're four out or five out and you've got someone in the middle order as classy as Labashane, who maybe doesn't score at 180 strike rate on a, on a flat wicket, on one of these more difficult wickets, He's the sort of person I think is worth taking. I've said it before. I have no faith in Stoinis or someone like that on those types of wickets. No faith in Wade on those types of wickets either. So I think that, you know, pick Labashane. If it turns out that I'm wrong and it's a 220 place, 220 kind of tournament, well, maybe he doesn't play so many games, but I think he would have been worthwhile being in there. And I'm pleased that Christian has gone to the cusp of being in the squad. But again, if I'm an opposition team and Dan Christian is in the Australian side and is coming up to bat, I'm terrified of him. 
and I'm very happy if he's not in the side. I also agree with Jaleesa. I'm not so sure that they should have dropped um, Alex Carey for the same reasons as I think that Labuschagne should have been in the side. I don't think that that um, Matthew Wade should have been included. I think that um, his form has been a bit too disappointing. And on these pitches, I'd have concerns about him. Uh, but I'm happy with you, man. It's, um, I'm, I'm agreeing with you that uh, Inglis's record is, is fantastic in white ball cricket and um, he's worth a, a worthwhile inclusion. Although, again, let's see how he goes on slow, low wickets as well. So you would have had Labuschagne ahead of Stoinis? Yeah, in the same way that I'd have Usain Bolt ahead of me in a 100-meter race. <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't mind that opinion because it's your opinion, but I can see why they've gone with Stoinis. He'd made leaps and bounds in the IPL the last two seasons, batting in the middle order. I think that sort of narrative about him being a top-order player only in T20 cricket is kind of gone. So- no, he's fine coming out of the middle order in um, in the Big Bash, but against quality spin, uh, against Rashid Khan on a pitch that's turning – I've still yet to see anything that indicates that he's going to come out and be able to rotate the strike, let alone hit sixes and fours. He gets marooned and then he gets out. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I, I personally, my changes in the squad, well, firstly on Alex Carey, I think it was the right thing to leave him out. And George Bailey was at pains to say Alex Carey is still Australia's 50-over keeper, but he isn't the 20-over keeper. So it's not a slight on his 50-over cricket. I, I would like Dan Christian to have been in the main squad and I would have put Kane Richardson in the travelling reserves, primarily because I think a bit like Paul was touching on there, I'd still like the option of choosing between Christian and Stoinis without an injury. And I think Stark, Hazelwood and Cummins are our best three quicks. And the only way Kane Richardson should really play is if there's an injury. So I'd be happy for Christian to go in for Kane Richardson. And then... I take your point about Labuschagne and I do sort of wonder why he wasn't even put in the travelling reserves because if Aaron Finch doesn't come up from this knee injury and he needs to be replaced, I think Manus Labuschagne is a tailor-made replacement, can bat in the top order, right-handed and can bowl a bit of spin. So I think it's weird that he's not even in the reserves. I mean, I would rather um, Labuschagne in the reserves and say Daniel Sams. I think Labuschagne's just a better player. I agree, yeah. Uh, I think that Labuschagne is, for me, he'd be one of the first players I'd pick, as I said, with, with the reasons above. And um, uh, it just seems par for the course that we, we, we never have any sophistication in our selecting of the squads. I reckon they didn't even contemplate picking him. Mm. It's strange, though, that, you know, they didn't call back Inglis and Labuschagne and they let them both play in the T20 Blast. And Inglis is able to force his way into the squad. But Labuschagne, who did excellently for Glamorgan in the T20 Blast, wasn't able to get into the T20 squad. So perhaps they just want to leave him on ice and get him ready for the Ashes. Just I don't to- want to sound cynical, but I just think there's a general hatred of complexity. They would have gone, oh, it's too many players to think about. Labuschagne, not a big hitter. We don't have to think about him. Oh, that makes our job easier. They don't want to have to have the hard thoughts. Yeah, I just don't think there's a spot for Labuschagne if Finch is available in the 11. That's my thing. I actually think the gutsy thing would have been to drop Finch because Labuschagne's a far better player. Finch's captaincy has been ordinary. So to let him go. Um, I, I just think um, as far as Labuschagne, there's just he just hasn't played enough T20 to know. It's true. They haven't given him much of a chance. And I guess they figured maybe, you know, throwing him in for this World Cup was too soon. But I think we're all in agreement that 
should have been there or thereabouts. Other notes, um, George Bailey said that he trusts um, the IPL has been good preparation for most of these players and that Steve Smith is batting comfortably at the moment, facing 100 balls, so that augurs well. Um, Aaron Finch said he would have nets a month ahead of the tournament, but I still think he's got to be in massive doubt. Um, yeah, I, I'm just... I'm just not sure our spinners are good enough to win this T20. Swepson, Agar, Zampa, to me, they're just not good enough to win us a tournament. They're very solid, but they're not scary in the way that the very best spinners from overseas can be. Rashid Khan, uh, Tabray Shamsi, those sorts of bowlers, um, they're, they're ones that you can suddenly see them taking four overs, two for 15, whereas Zampa's the sort of bowler who in spinning conditions more likely four overs, one for 20, and occasionally get smashed around. They're good, but I kind of agree with you that we're lacking that one spin-up that really strikes fear into the opposition. Now, I've also got some audio here that I asked George Bailey when he announced the team. Now, Paul, if, if you want to be concerned, this should be the answer because I asked George Bailey about what they're doing about the finisher role, and for me, this answer's not good enough. Have a listen. Today, George, um, just wondering um, who you've sort of earmarked for that sort of finishing lower order role. Obviously, a lot of top order players. So I guess apart from Maxwell, who are you sort of looking at for those roles? Yeah, I'll, I'll be thrilled if Max is there at the end. He, you know, he's been um, batting in, in around that number four role for us. So um, it's funny. People talk about the finishing role. And my ideal finishes in a T20 would be David Warner and Aaron Finch, I'd like us to get through 20 overs and have them finish the innings. Um, but it doesn't quite always play out like that. I, I think Marcus Stoinis has done a really good job for us in that role, um, in, a, in a role that effectively at times he's been learning uh, on the job, but also um, starting to do the role really, really effectively for Delhi, and they're backing him in that position as well. Um, and then I think we've got we've got some flexibility around. That's that's one of the reasons I, I'm you know, really confident in what the squad can produce. Um, I think Steve Smith, someone who has obviously batted at three for us, he can also has also batted a little bit through the middle for his IPL teams at different stages. Um, Mitch Marsh, I think, has done a lot of finishing, but again, has really put his name up at the top of the order on the back of his last series, so that looked great. Uh, I think Matthew Wade can finish the innings really well, and it's nice to have that option of a left-hander throwing through there. So with this, this flexibility, um, again, you know, comfortable if, if Josh Inglis ends up in that role as well, so and I think one of the other things about your finishing role is, is not to discount, and particularly if these wickets do end up being a little bit tired, is not to discount those lower order hitters. And I think if you watch the record of Paddy Cummins over the last little period and some of the batting that he's been putting together in the IPL, um, really confident that between he, um, someone like Ash Agar, Mitchell Stark, we've all got guys who can who can finish the job for us there as well. So to me, that just seems a bit thin, that we've got this big problem, but they haven't really solved it. I don't accept necessarily, I know everyone else does, that we have a problem with the finisher because I, I think that it's a bit of a misnomer. I think that if you brought, say, Dan Christian into the side, as I would like to do, people would say, oh, he's the ideal finisher. If you're the ideal finisher, then I want you right up the top of the order. The best players should get the most balls. So I think it's, it's fair enough that we stack our side with our very best players going at the top of the order. And if it means that towards the end we're maybe um, not quite as good as, as we might otherwise be because we've given our best players a chance, then that's fair enough. Yeah, I just think that they should have, you know, really p- 
thought about who's going to fill those roles. I understand where you're coming from, Paul, about the best players at the top, but I think relying on Stark, Cummins, and Smith to finish our innings is a just doesn't fill me with a lot of confidence. I would like to see more flexibility with the batting order. That if we are one for eighty off the first seven overs, then don't send Smith in. Send someone else in, and then, then you can have. Um, a bit more flexibility with someone like Smith coming in down the order when it's necessary. They say that they're flexible with the batting on, but most of the time they're pretty inflexible with it. Any more hot takes on the the T20 World Cup squad? Uh, Do you still say that we are absolutely no chance and that it's a disgrace that we're even turning up and we should be focusing on the Sheffield Shield? Oh, I don't think it's a disgrace that we're turning up. And with the current state of Australia, I'm not sure how much shield cricket they'll get done. But yeah, we're no chance of winning this. Well, we won't. I'd be very surprised if we made it out of the group stage. I wouldn't be surprised if we made it out of the group stage, but I don't think we're a chance of winning. I don't expect that we'll win because there are several other teams that are very good. But I think we're every bit as much of a chance as New Zealand or Pakistan or West Indies or. Um, half the other side. I do think that England is decent second favourite and India is favourite. But if Australia won, it would not surprise me in the slightest. I'd be thrilled if we won. All righty. Well, that's our wrap of the T20 World Cup squad. We'll take a quick break. Then we'll be back with the cricket headlines. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm Menes. I'm with Jaleesa and Paul. And it's the headlines of the week time brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. And Paul, I've entrusted you with the responsibility of guiding us through the soap opera that has been Australian cricket in the last week. <laughs> you can't trust yourself with it because your passion is too too close to the surface. That's actually right. That's actually true. I thought <laughs> I'm going to be like ranting and raving and I'll get halfway through a sentence and there'll be some emotional outburst. So I thought, give it to Paul. I can just snipe from the side. <laughs> well, feel free to both of you snipe from the side as I, as I do this, but, um, so since our last show, there's been a fair bit. Uh, obviously, there was the uh, blow-up with Gavin Dovey and then Justin Langer confronting the staffer that was broken by Daniel Cherney in the Sydney Morning Herald. And the key quote was that he said in reference to both conversations, sources close to the team said the incidents were witnessed by at least a dozen people and left some players taken aback and with a sense of unease about what had transpired. But then the big story occurred on the 12th of August when Malcolm Conn appeared on Cricket Unfiltered. Everyone said it was his article six days later that made the the, the splash. (laughs) I think it was his appearance on this show that got him thinking back to his time when he was with the Australian side. We've got a little audio grab from our last show that um, we'll play now. I have worked in it at at various stages and it is a high-stress environment. And um, one of the difficulties he has is, is, is not being able to sort of de-stress the team. I mean, there's sort of a, uh, if you talk to um, the people involved across time, I'll t- talk about a sort of a chalk and cheese response uh, to, uh, say, uh, Darren Lehman's coaching, uh, which you know, some people said was, was quite loose compared to sort of Justin Langer's coaching, which is sort of everyone's sort of uh, wound up like a spring, so it's sort of. And the one thing that uh, that Darren Lehman did have, uh, which he's highly credited with, is a great ability to de-stress the dressing room. And, and uh, Justin doesn't doesn't uh, have that quality. 
I like to think that after that interview, Malcolm started thinking more and more, and that's when he suddenly wrote the article on the 18th of August that shocked everyone. By the way, if you didn't hear that episode, go back and listen to it. I think it's one of our best episodes. Con is fantastic. In addition to all the stuff that he does currently, Shalisa asks him some really good questions about when he uh, won the Walkley Award for exposing Mark Warren, Shane Warren, taking cash from bookmakers. I'd never heard him explain that story in that way, and I, I, you know, I really enjoyed listening to it. So... Con's article on the 18th of August. I feel guilty now, Paul, by the way. Why's that? Well, just that it sounds like we had something to do with the, <laughs> uh, Coach Grumpy article, which is <laughs> And so then the article that appeared was Grumpy Coach, how Langer's volatile approach is wearing Australia down. And some of the explosive poets in there from Malcolm Con, uh, he said, there are a few people I admire more in Australian cricket than Justin Langer, both as a player and a statesman but I struggled to work with him as national coach. I quickly learned to stay out of his way. You were never certain whether your question was going to be met with an answer or an explosion. Even a simple post on the player and support staff group chat, letting them know of a particular issue that had been brought up in the media could elicit a rebuke. I consulted support staff and communicated with Langer through short WhatsApp messages where possible, anything to avoid direct conversations. The reason I've included that quote is that Con is tough. Like he's not scared of anything. And if Malcolm Conn is avoiding speaking to someone directly, I think that's quite telling. Yeah. What do you think of the overall sort of um, of writing a story from, you know, when you're employed at Cricket Australia, you're no longer there. Now you're sort of writing material from that's kind of private. Do you, I guess, Jaleesa, do you think that's kind of breaking a, a journalism code? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting one because I'm absolutely thrilled that Mal wrote this because it's um, obviously enthralling and it's an insight that uh, we all should, uh, that we all want to hear. But it is a, there is a funny line there about um, when you're employed, like I, I don't know legally how it worked. I don't imagine I could go and start writing things that I know about Channel 9. Please do. And survive <laughs> so, um it, it's an interesting one i um obviously mal has no fear and i think that's something that's really to be um admired about mal is he doesn't really obviously care what they think now or um what they were going to come at him with um so i i enjoyed reading the article and i am glad that mal isn't shackled by his previous employment but yeah it's a definitely an interesting one I think it's fine that he wrote it. I agree. It's a, it's an interesting one. He makes he he would make the point. Robert Craddock said he'd make the point that ex players after they finished write six hundred page autobiographies and they spill the beans on on everything that occurred. I suppose the difference is that that's often when everything is in hindsight. This is when the issue is front and center. But I still think that oh, I, I was okay with him writing it from an ethical point of view. It does come across as a hatchet job, though, in my opinion. I love Con. I think he's a great journalist. But it, it, to me, it reeked of a, just a bit of a, a hatchet job. Because he just cherry-picked those few moments from his time there and, and just tried to paint this picture of this ogre, which I just don't think is true. You know what? He's probably not. If this is, I think that we're probably only even getting, like, this is what he's written. There's probably a lot of stuff he hasn't written and won't write. And uh, for various reasons, I, I trust that Mal's perception of what um, was happening in there is, is well represented by himself. I think that Robert Craddock made a good point saying that he's right down the middle in the sense that 
you could argue that Langer it was it is too uh, hard to deal with, and you could also argue that the players need to harden up, and that the truth is probably halfway through. That you look at someone like Sir Alex Ferguson, who apparently Langer is a great fan of. He always straddled that line very, very tightly between going too far. And he had lots of players who uh, he ended up with very rancorous departures, but he was able to sort of stage manage those because as the football manager, he was totally in charge in a way that a cricket coach is not. And it's quite possible that if if Langer was 5% less uh, on the edge, then none of this would have been an issue. Or if the players were 5% sort of uh, less sensitive, then none of this would be an issue. I'm, I've gone the full circle. I initially was massively keen on Langer being in the coach. Then the, the last couple of weeks, I started to think, no, I think, you know, I'm disappointed. But I've come back around to the middle and I kind of agree with Craddock that maybe there is a bit of, um, a bit of fault on both sides. I mean, Con brings up in the article that Justin Langer was opposed to players being mic'd up in the T20 internationals. And I, I agree with Langer. I mean, we're not good enough for our players to be commentating while we play T20 cricket. They can barely win a game when they're not mic'd up. I know there's a TV deal. I know you're going to say, oh, it's good. You know, the cricket needs the money, blah, 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 blah. In the end, Langer's judged on his results as a coach. I agree with him. Players should not be mic'd up. But I, I mean, I think the the point that Con was making, though, was that it was just such a last minute thing. Yes. Like, why why was this brought up so close to a game to be such a big deal when you do have stakeholders um, and things like that? You know, the one thing that I found really interesting with our um, chat with Mal was this very fleeting moment. I think I asked him, or one of us asked him, I don't know if it was me, but asked him um, what um, what it was like when, when he said that he was going to leave Cricket Australia. Was anybody worried? Um and or it was a question along those lines and he said oh no I don't think anyone really cared if I was Cricket Australia and Mal Con's about <laughs> to leave and I know all the things that he knows I am having meetings with him I'm offering him more money to stay I'm checking his contract to see if there's an NDA deal the non-disclosure agreement in there I am worried so I was concerned why was no one worried about everything that Mal knows when he was going back to journalism? That was really bizarre to me. All right, continue your, your retelling of this soap opera, please, Paul. Well, one last quote from Con's article. Um, he said uh, before, a, one, uh, before a, a series against Sri Lanka in Australia, there was a roar in my left ear. Startled, I looked around. There was Langer, steely-eyed and square-jawed. What's that? Langer roared again pointing over his shoulder, we've got to play these blokes in an hour. Now, what he was pointing to was the scoreboard at the Adelaide Oval was showing replays of Lassith Malinga's uh, destruction of Australia in times gone by. And again, I, I, I think this highlights the best and the worst of Langer. Like, from a PA, P, PR point of view, of course the scoreboard should be able to show whatever they want. But from a, I want my coach to have this level of craziness. But rather than take it out on the media manager and try and get the media manager to change the, the scoreboard, uh, again, I think to go back to Ferguson, it's the sort of thing he would have gra- dragged everyone around and said, look at this. Let's bowl first and bowl them out for 80. Uh, you know, that sort of thing of, of, of really firing up rather than just sort of going um, really angrily about the situation in a way that's kind of a little bit counterproductive. But, it's, it, you know, um, that's where I can see both sides of it with Langer. I just thought it was, the, again, that was just another example along with the Bangladesh team song scandal where it was just, Frag- it was like, how fragile are you? Like, really? Is this the biggest thing in the world? I don't know. I found that so pathetic. 
yeah, I think there is that, but it's also you sort of need that a little bit to a degree in a coach that you need a bit of crazy, um, but maybe channeled in a different way. Anyway, then um, what I found interesting was uh, in the light of this article, Aaron Finch was interviewed by, uh, by Jared Waitley and he had several opportunities, I think, to... I just kept on waiting for the cliched answer of, mate, we're 100% behind JL. There's been a bit of murmurings in the past. It was all put to bed in the Gold Coast. This is all uh, nonsense coming from outside the team. We are backing him. And, you know, Waitley began by asking him, are there tensions around the coaching position of Justin Langer? And then I've got a few grabs from what Finch then said. And he, he sort of failed to do that, to deliver that statement at any time. Yes, I thought the same thing. I thought he was given, there was plenty of opportunities there for him to um, come out with that crushing, well, no, he's our coach. We trust in him, full support of the board kind of thing. But he definitely didn't say that. And if that's how he, if he doesn't feel, I get sick of people saying that when they don't feel it, when you see a lot of football clubs. But uh, yeah, it was very telling that whole interview. With more what was, was, wasn't said. Ready? Yep. Well, there's always tension when you don't, when results don't go your way. It's disappointing that um, things are coming, well, things are coming to the front the way that they are. That, that's, that's never ideal. It's your when fault, Finch. Being, being leaked out from inside, that's, that's not a great, um, great look. The he coaching does something about be unsettling right through. Should it be brought to a head? Um, as Adam Gilchrist suggested, so that it doesn't hover over these really important campaigns? Oh, I think that that's, that's for, I suppose, the CEO, um, for them guys to work through it. Uh, playing cricket for Australia is hard enough without, as a player without um, worrying about all that stuff off the field. You're the bloody captain, Finch. You're supposed to worry about that stuff. What a stupid answer. It wasn't a stupid answer. Would you rather him sit there and say um, things that he doesn't actually feel? Like he's like, yeah, I fully support him. I think maybe yeah, he, he doesn't. He should be sacked. That because that's not good captaincy. Pain. Why? Why? Man, let why? Their players leak shit to the media, undermine the coach. This goes back to bad leadership. I've been stewing on this for a week. Finch and Payne, as soon as those first articles came out this year, should have pulled their team into line. That's what the captain's supposed to do. Wouldn't have happened under Mark Taylor. Wouldn't have happened under Steve Wall. Wouldn't have happened under Alan Border. This is poor leadership. This reflects what's happened in the last few months, reflects more on Finch and Payne not controlling their plays than it does on Langer. The captain don't. Menace, maybe they, they, they don't want him as coach. So That's the point. They're not children trying they're not on a ship and they can't you know pull off a mutiny and throw the captain off they're australian cricketers being paid to do a job their coach is installed it's not up to them to decide oh i'm going to get rid of the coach i don't like him he makes us work too hard bloody grow a pair but you know don't let players snipe at the coach through the media. It's pathetic stuff. As Usman Kawaja said in his video, if you've got a problem with JL, hit it square on, otherwise let it go. What do you think came out in the media, though? Because do you really think that the team, that that whole, everything that's catalyst for this, which was that stupid Bangladesh team song thing, do you think that that came out through the media through players? Because I don't. A hundred percent it came out through the players and I bet you Finch and Payne know who it is. They know who the players are. They're just too soft to get this under control. They need to, to 
draw a line in the sand and say, you either want to be a part of this team and Justin Lang is our coach or go and play somewhere else. Go and take some T20 franchise money because I'm telling you, this reflects more on Finch and Payne than it does on Langer. Langer's done a good job. I think you're making assumptions about um, things that, we frankly don't know. You're pointing the finger at players. We don't know what came out through players, what came out through. Do you know how many staff are on that tour and potentially were involved in that? I don't think that you can say that it was definitely the players. Well, I've had and conversations if, with if, certain in that, players. In that interview, I don't want Finch to sit there and say good, you know, say false things that he doesn't believe in. I don't want him to sit there and go, you know, Langer's got our support. He's got all of our support. We're so happy with him. I don't want him to sit there and lie. He said, it's not up to me. He didn't, he didn't come out and attack Langer. He just said, it's not up to me. It's it's up to cricket. Leadership. So if you don't want the coach there, I don't expect you to have to sit there and lie, but you also, he also didn't attack him i think it was telling what he said but i i don't think i'm not gonna sit there and uh, attack him for what was a pretty just it was a pretty diplomatic response in the end well finch is part of the problem then because he's just there allowing this sort of unrest to fester rather than dealing with it but uh, has it occurred to you that maybe you just go oh, i'm a player i don't have to worry about the coach you're the captain of the one day side you led us to a world cup two years ago show some leadership i mean but maybe his form of leadership at that point was not coming out and shitting on langer because that's maybe that's how he feels but his leadership is like no i'm not going to come out and and say that i'm going to deflect these questions because they're uncomfortable has it ever occurred to you in any of this that maybe lang is not doing a good job no it hasn't it hasn't occurred to me i can tell (laughs) just listen to usman kawaja this is their teammate usman's not in the team i don't okay but he was there a year ago talking about what i think is backstabbing and how do you think they all feel it feels like the guys in the team probably stabbing him in the back. And that's what it looks like. So that's why it's so disappointing. It's actually a really bad look. This is something that the group needs to sort out ASAP. So, yeah, Finch, when he's talking to Waitley, he says, Langer has my full support. He's a great coach. I love working with him. Bang, move on, move on. Finch and Payne need to sort this out. Usman Khawaja is the same as us debating this. He's not in the team. I don't, I don't really take much of what he's saying. He has more insights than you and I. Not right now. Well, I think he, I think he'd be have more sources than you and I. So, wouldn't his sources be players? Exactly, that's right. And he's saying they're backstabbing, and it's a bad look. Thank you, Usman. We agree on something finally. Well, man, as I can see, why you got me to host this so that we keep your passions um, at a at a minimum. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> Just a shout, just a quick shout out to the man who has been completely forgotten all this is Andrew Wu, who <laughs> said this months ago and Menes has repeatedly dismissed that there's but any problem, there's no problem, blah, blah, blah. And quite clearly, there's a problem. Yeah, I've changed my tune. The problem is Finch and Payne, poor leaders. So Andrew Wu's article was justified. Payne can't captain on the field and off the field. That's what we've learned. So Andrew Wu's article was justified. Can we just get that on the record? It wasn't justified at all. I have to say, it turned out that he has started a powder keg. So I I will apologise to Andrew. I don't 
think the I think the basis of his story is false, but good journalism. It's got six months of uh, talking on this podcast, that's for sure. No, you're right. The basis of his article was that there was trouble between the players and the coach. And you're right. Clearly that's wrong. Clearly it's so harmonious there. I want to be in this Australian cricket team. <laughs> I go back to what I say. Maybe there's a problem, but it's whinging players. They win that last test at the Gabba. None of this happens. Menes goes through all the scorebooks and where it says Brian Lara, it's 400 not out. He crosses it out and writes Justin Langer. <laughs> I heard he's got an I love JL tattoo. <laughs> I think I just like angry little men. Continue. I can't tell you where. But... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, after that, um, Nick Hockley then released a statement, the chairman of uh, the CEO of Australian Cricket, uh, of Cricket Australia. And this then re- required every single person who follows cricket to say, oh, Langer's got the full support of the board. That means he's definitely gone. If I have to hear that joke one more time, I'm going to do something. But anyway, the statement was, uh, Justin Langer has done an incredible job in raising the culture, values and behaviours of, of the Australian men's team since he took on the role in 2018. His efforts have restored public faith in the national team, which is a side all Australians can be incredibly proud of. He is contracted as head coach through to the middle of next year with the, foc- with the focus now on a successful T20 World Cup campaign, followed by the home Ashes defence. Like many in the community and around the world, the team has had an extremely disruptive and challenging 18 months during the pandemic. Despite those challenges, the side has had great success in one-day test and T20 cricket when all players were available. Now, that is nonsense. In the last 18 months, Australia have not had great success when all the players were available. They've played four test matches only, and they lost the series to India. You could argue it's the worst test cricket result in Australian history, surrendering to India with our full side, especially when they had their B or their C side. And in, in that time, when we've played with our um, full side in one-day cricket, we've played 10 games, we've had five wins and five losses. If you add in the side when we didn't have our best side, it actually improves us to seven and six. And our T20s in that time, we never had our best side available. We had a record of losing 11 and winning four. So that uh, maybe they're meaning that, and it's just clumsy wording, that they're meaning that in the entirety of Justin Langer's tenure, Australia has done pretty well. And I, I could agree with that. But get the wording right um, or say what you bloody well mean. This statement did nothing but heap more pain on the whole situation. Because as you said, Paul, everyone was like, uh, I don't know if it's bad wording, but yeah, you might want to check your figures there. And also, it wasn't actually a very strongly worded statement of support of Langer. Like when I actually read that statement, it was it didn't go as far as full support of the board. It felt like Justin Langer has done and he is our coach until the middle of next year and that's the way it'll stay. But it it didn't seem, I don't know, I didn't feel like it um, threw a, lo- a huge amount of support behind him. I actually read that and I went, is Langer, there was a lot of past tense used and obviously I started overthinking and I went, is Langer going to step down himself? Is that what this statement is preempting? So I didn't actually think that that statement did much for anyone. The interesting thing is that, uh, and it was picked up by Sam Perry, uh, who wrote in The Guardian, that it was weird that after that statement was when Payne, Finch and Cummins were then summoned for a sort of a summit meeting on a Zoom call with Earl Eddings, uh, the, uh, the chairman, and Nick Hockley. What happens if those three, you know, they're getting, they're getting given their chance to say what they think, what happens if all three of them said, no, we can't stand Langer, he's got to go? Like that statement kind of precluded them 
being able to say that. But in any case, they had that meeting. After that, on the next day, a couple of things occurred. Firstly, when the um, Bailey announced the Australian T20 side, he was asked if Langer had lost the, the dressing room. And he said, I don't think so, which is not exactly uh, categorical support. Um, but then Tim Payne then did give his um, support. He said, we've had some really robust conversations among our leaders in the last few days, and we're really looking forward to the next six months with JL, which I think is pretty clear that there's no intention to extend Langer's contract at this stage uh, beyond that six-month period, unless, I suppose, Australia win the World Cup and, and comfortably win the Ashes. But the next thing that, Lang- that Payne said was clearly his support for Langer. A warning to those of you from New South Wales and Queensland, this contains some uh, very strange AFL terminology around getting around people. He said, it was important that myself, Aaron Finch, Pat Cummins and the leaders of Australian cricket got around him, discussed things that needed to be discussed and then got around him and supported him and looked to move forward. In Victoria and other states, got around him means to support someone. Um, So that's finally some categorical support from the Australian captain. That's what you wanted, isn't it, Menace? Yeah, yeah. Finally, on his show, Painy and Jack or whatever it is on SEN, but it shouldn't have got to this. I mean, come on, Payne, you know, stop lounging around in bloody Hobart and do something. And then the final thing is that Con's Con's latest article refers to, sort of to a truce and said Australia's players have begrudgingly accepted they must stick together and support embattled coach Justin Langer heading into this season's 2020 World Cup and Ashes campaigns. Um, it's become apparent to players they can do little but accept Langer will remain at the helm despite their issues with his intense management style. Multiple sources have said the dissatisfaction with Langer extends beyond the players, with support staff also unhappy after the tours to the West Indies and Bangladesh. Few involved at the top level of the game believe Langer is capable of changing. I would argue if that is all true, then they probably should have bitten the bullet and gotten and actually sacked him now. I don't think as I just don't think sacking him now would have done done much. But I'm saying if the, if the, if it's if and I'm not sure if it is, but if it's a toxic atmosphere in the dressing room, if there is enough players who can't stand him, then that that would be where sack him, bring in Trevor Bayless or something for the World Cup. It might be the lift that we need. No comment. It's just farcical. No, no, it's not farcical. I'm saying if man, you've got to be able to understand the conditional. If what Con said then is true. If they are um, begrudgingly accepting him, then maybe sterner action should have been taken. Do you see what I'm saying? I don't accept that assertion. So, I'm, I'm... men, as I don't, don't know if you can really attack most of the, a lot of the players that are under Langer were also under Boof, and there was never, like, you never heard anything bad about him. Uh, well, I, I've heard so plenty about There has to be Boof. a problem. I'm not going to put them. it on the record, but there's tons out there about Boof. So, I mean, but. But that's the whole point. There's none on the record. That's the whole point is that, it, that you never had these kind of leaks and anger and these frustration and this half support yep. that, that you had. Sorry? Fitch. Poor captaincy then. Payne and Fitch can't control their players. I mean, as you've got to be reasonable. Like I'm saying to you, if that is assertion is true, okay, then. If that is true. If the environment is toxic, then they need to bite the bullet. But I do not believe that is true. Okay, fair enough. So you don't accept that it's toxic or you don't accept that they have reason to feel it's toxic because it's co- it's obviously toxic. I don't think it's toxic. I don't think they have reason to feel it's toxic. I think it's 
a handful of players, probably three or four players that don't like Langer, and they're, they're, they're being very vocal about it. And I actually think it's a minority of the playing group. In any case, then um, Kawaja then did come out and gave his, give his support, as Gilchrist and Hayden and, and others had done. So that kind of um, brings us up to the current. So it's quite a... <laughs> quite a saga. Quite a, quite a saga. <laughs> Can I also just point out, man, is when you're talking about you think it's three or four players, there were players... So this happened after... Um, we lost to India and then there's a whole other team where there's been problems 2020, where there was a lot of play different players. So that's two very different groups of players so where the there player has been I problems come out. The player, One of the players I believe who's heading this charge was a part of both squads. Right. So you think there's one player that has managed to cause all of this? No, I'm not saying it's one player, but I know there's one player in particular, I think, who's very vocal about this, who was in both squads. I just don't buy it. Well, I've got good sources, so I'm not going to start um, – all I'm saying No, but is- I don't buy. I don't buy – I think we, we all know this, that players that are unhappy, but I don't buy that one player who crossed over both those squads was able to orchestrate all of this. Oh, certainly not on his own, but I think you know what it's like. You just need one kind of uh, leader to sort of drag other people along with him. So, you know, to be that player and a few others who who chirping away. That would be an incredible influence to be able to cause such problems <laughs> after it was a test match. One player going to the press and getting that story written by Wu, that started this off. That only needed one or two sources to get that story written. So it really can just start there. Yeah, you can, but then all this stuff happened when they were playing these T20s. Like that stuff, that that, that happened. I mean, we've had Dovey acknowledge that that happened. It's it's not like it's made up. No, the, the what happened with the Bangladesh team song is not made up at all. But the fact exactly is it was leaked by a player should have been kept in house. I don't I don't accept that it was just leaked by a player. Well, it could have been leaked by the journalists. It could have been leaked by a lot of people. It could have been leaked by, you know, anyway. All right. Well, let's have a quick break. I'm going to get my emotions in, t- in check. Go and have a Milo. Go and have a Milo and we'll come back with viewer mail and can't let it go. And we're back. It's the final segment of Cricket Unfiltered. I'm Menes. I'm with Jaleesa and Paul. It's uh, viewer mail time. And last week was the eight-year anniversary of when I started the Australian Cricket Podcast. So eight years done, over 500 releases. I can't believe we've made it that far. I guess just want to thank everybody for listening and supporting the show over the last eight years. And I've never had as much fun recording the show as I've had, I'm having right now, you know, having Jaleesa and Paul as permanent co-hosts, it's, it's really um, given, given me renewed Stop passion it. for the show. Um, you know, I spent five, six, seven years where it was me every week getting other people on and I, I've had a wonderful array of co-hosts and guests I'm, I'm blessed to have and privileged to have interviewed and spoken to a number of great cricketers and journalists, but having Jaleesa and Paul is the happiest I've ever been doing this show. Um, Paul, we received Thanks, some... Mess- oh, pleasure. Are we received- no, this is so cute, Manus. Thank you so much. That's such a nice thing for you to say. I quite enjoy being a part of it, and I'm so happy that you asked me 
to come on board. I don't do things unless I enjoy doing them. So one day if I disappeared, you know that I don't like doing this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) It's just really nice for me to be able to share the show with someone, you know, for a long time. It wasn't that it was lonely, but it was really my passion that I would do alone. But having two people to share it with um, just makes it more rewarding, more fun. And, you know, I look forward to our recordings every week, um, just can't wait for them. So thank you. Me too. Yeah, me too. Now, Paul, we've got some messages um, in the, from our listeners. Do you want to start with the first one from Mitchell? Because I think this one's directed at you. Uh, so Mitchell Hall says, how you guys talk about why is it only ex-players who get the selector roles? Why can't you guys do it? I think that's... <laughs> I love this. <laughs> I mean... Why can't we do it? But, but, but Jaleesa, I think you're being too modest. I, I, I think why can't we do it is a very good question. and Probably more why can't you do it, Paul. I don't oh, know that um, <laughs> all you earn you, Manners. Uh, as I've said many times, the sole criterion for every selector just about in Australian history has been their ability to react more quickly to a ball being bowled than others, and that has no correlation whatsoever with your ability to judge talent. Uh, so I think there's every reason that... um. You know, I, I don't think it necessarily should be us, but it certainly should be uh, Bill Gates or someone should be the selector. <laughs> nah, f- it. it should be us. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take that role if offered. Um, Jack Taylor sent in a message. Best memories are the commentary critiques and every Mad Menace. Well, Jack, you got a bit of Mad Menace today. We haven't had quite as much Mad Menace. Like, this was really Mad Menace. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> and we also got some nice messages from Nick, Chris, Cheryl, Cheryl, Robert, Paul, and Kerwin and Kelso. So thanks, everybody, for writing in and for all the support over a number of years. Many more shows to come. Many more to come. All right, let's finish this one with Can't Let It Go, that little bit of cricket news you just can't let go through to the keeper. I'll open the batting on this one. We are in a golden run. We are about to enter a golden run of cricket viewing. The Caribbean Premier League starts this week. It's all being played in St. Kitts and Nevis at Warner Park. There's Chris Green, Farwood Ahmed uh, from the Australians over there. But we've got the CPL now. Then we've got the IPL. Then we've got the T20 World Cup. Then we've got the Ashes. Then we've got the Big Bash. Heaven is come early. Can't wait. Woo! Paul, you can't let it go? Daniel Bredick did an interview with, my, with Trevor Holmes after his retirement as chairman of Selectors. And he's, he listed his greatest achievement as... Introducing Adam Gilchrist into the Australian team was a gamble at the time, but turned out to be a very good one. He is one of our all-time great players. That stands out. And I cannot let that go because, I mean, do the selectors who dropped Bradman and then later reinstate him credit themselves with his reinstatement? The delay in getting Adam Gilchrist into the Australian side is the second worst thing that's ever happened in Australian selection. Nothing against Ian Healy. Fantastic player. One of my favourite players. But Gilchrist was next level good. He is literally the best cricketer I have ever seen. And Dan Bredig added, picking Gilchrist seems an obvious choice. Now, it was an obvious choice at the time. I look back. I was at the SCG on the 25th of February, 1996 for a semi-final of the Mercantile Mutual Cup. Western Australia chasing 210. We're four for 45. So soon five for 77 and seven for 105. They had no chance. I turned to my friend and said, I want to, Western Australia will win this. And he laughed at me. I said, let's put money on it. 
And I got my entire wallet out, which I had about $10 in at the time, my life savings. I put it on Western Australia because I said, this Gilchrist bloke is special. He scored 76 not out off 88. They won the game. He was, he should have been in the Australian side in 1996 in the World Cup. It was bloody obvious for years that he should have been in the Australian side. To the point, Adam Gilchrist in 1989 spent some time playing league cricket in England. And after one game, he recounts this in his autobiography. He was walking off and Dickie Bird happened to be umpiring the game. And he chased after him and said, the Australian selectors should drop Ian Healy from the side and pick you now. This is just a few months after Ian Healy had been picked in the side. They wow. didn't get him in the side for a bloody decade. A decade. Gilchrist was almost 30, the greatest player I've ever seen, and didn't get picked till he was almost 30. So don't dare credit yourself for eventually picking him in the end. Holmes. Mad Dennett there. Awesome. Mad Dennett. Yeah, we Bloody never earth. get Mad Dennett. <laughs> How do you Definitely. feel about Phil Emery keeping Gilchrist out of the New South Wales? Oh, I've got a special <laughs> podcast, 100 episodes just devoted to that. It's called How Did Phil Emery Keep Gilchrist Out of the New South Wales Side? It's on iTunes. <laughs> uh, well, what a way to finish this edition of Cricket Unfiltered. Jaleesa, thanks so much for joining us. Have a great week. My pleasure. Lovely to speak to you both again. Good on you guys. Paul, terrific recap of the Langer fiasco listeners thanks for listening thanks for eight years of support and we'll be back next week on florida's space coast we think you can have the best of both worlds kind of like right now driving at your desk maybe at the gym but you're also grooving to some music Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.